Hello and welcome to this week's Radio Oedipus. We're a little bit late to the party, but we've decided to record our first show remotely. So here I am, drinking a beer in my bedroom, um, I mean home studio. However, this gives us an exciting opportunity to explore other planets outside our beer world in the Netherlands. On the first part of today's show, we're going to have a chat about beer culture with Jeremy Stull, head of barrels and blending at Buxton Brewery in the UK. Buxton Brewery, one of the big names in the UK craft beer scene, located in the heart of the Peak District in Derbyshire. They have been making real ale since 2009. Jeremy's here to talk about a new direction he hopes to take the brewery in. On the second part, there's a conversation I had last week with Butcher's Tears about their really interesting new beer, Air Respects, a peat-smoked old Burton ale. All that on today's Radio Oedipus. So, just to kick off, see if you're both still with me. Jeremy Stull, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Good, good. Hey. Sandinay Devane, hello. Yes. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? How are you? Uh, good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, me too. Already the first sound delay there. We just need to leave a bit of space for each, yeah. <laughs> each other talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, different for sure. <laughs> we, we've always recorded live and uh, we've been to Rotterdam, but then both of us driving there, recording a podcast. But this uh, on distance is... Uh, Something new, yeah, new, but exciting. New territory, indeed, yeah. indeed. Uh, Jeremy and Sander have a bit of a history drinking craft ales together here in the Netherlands and uh, oh, well, all around Europe, actually, Sander was telling me. So this is a little so, bit of a US, Friends yeah. reunited show, I guess, right? Big time, yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice. Would say so. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks, man. Good to be here. Like I said, we're going to talk about Buxton. My Buxton fact is the fact that it's a spa town in Derbyshire. It produces its own natural mineral water as rainfall slowly filters through uh, a mile of Derbyshire's lovely ancient limestone uh, and produces 100% natural mineral water. How does that affect the beer then, Jeremy? Well, uh, I think uh, it just uh, probably uh, allows you to do whatever you want with it. So um, you don't really have to try and take things away you can add to it if you like um yeah i think it's it's pretty special for the town i guess yeah do they pride um, they really pride themselves on it don't they they do they do yeah yeah but it's it's, it's a nice part the spot you know so no. Good, good. Uh, and as always, we're drinking a beer together, which requires a bit more planning than usual. Uh, this week, Jeremy suggested we drink Orval and Three Fontaine. So we're also going to talk about uh, farmhouse beers in the second part of our chat. I was expecting stouts and big pale ales since that's what Buxton uh, are known for, Jeremy. What's the reasoning behind these beers today? Uh, I, I suppose it's, it's more... Um leaning towards the stuff that uh, I would be part of where um, we're working with barrels to kind of open up loads of different flavors and try out things that we uh, haven't done before, really. Um, we'll still have all the big stouts and things coming around, but I think for, for myself, I'm really into the wild yeast beers and big oak flavors and, and uh, lots of blending. And I think that that's um, not that horrible, but I, I have done blending uh, of Orville or with Zander, I think. And uh, but the, the good is, is is blending, and I think that's where the opportunity really opens up for that that type of beer spreads out, I guess. So tell us a little bit about the brewery. How where, how is it set up? Is it in the middle of the countryside? That's how I image it in my um, head. 
It, it is, but uh, like an industrial state. So outside of Buxton, not, not far. Um, and then uh, we've got uh, one, one big building that's got the brew house in it, uh, as well as, you know, storage for hops and grains and things and silo outside. So we do grain, um, grain comes in through the silo. Um, next to that is the canning line. Um, next to that, I believe is going to be the bottling line. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure uh, as far as when all that's happening, but um, there is construction going on at this point. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's upgrading or construction. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, we're we're a bit further out, but yeah, it's so it's it's constantly in flux. I guess constantly, you know, moving. Mm-hmm. And how long has it been there? Same place since 2009. Yeah, I think uh, it's uh, over over ten years now. So yeah, um, I remember visiting them uh, a while ago when they were doing five hundred mil bottles of uh, um, more top and things. It's um, yeah, it's been a while. I think they're quite a staple. Mm, definitely, definitely, you de- they definitely come to mind when I'm thinking of uh, kind of. British craft beer, Buxton is one of the leading names, or maybe I'm biased as a northerner myself. That's that they're one of the breweries that come to mind. That can happen. Uh, but the UK yeah. in general has this long beer tradition. Uh, is there a long history of beer in Buxton and its surrounding areas? What was your kind of perception as an outsider of the brewery and kind of uh, UK traditions? Because obviously you're, you're American. Yeah, um, I suppose uh, for me... I think uh, Buxton's managed to to keep its identity quite quite well um, for that town. I I don't know that Buxton had a a beer element like the brewery. I, I'm pretty sure that you know the brewery uh, settling in there helped a lot for it. And there's some some nice pubs around and stuff, but I think um, yeah, it's really helped them out. Like to make kind of a beer scene there, if, you know. Mm. Thornbridge is not that far. No, no, uh, no. Right? Yeah. No. And they yeah. started a few years earlier, or? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think 2007, maybe. I could be wrong, but yeah. yeah. And this is all more or less 30-minute drive south of Manchester, isn't it? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and is, it, is there... I can, or yeah, I've been there before also with you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. we did a collab with uh, um, Buxton together with yeah, yeah, yeah. Roy Dope actually in 2015. So uh, yeah, I've seen the place, but uh, yeah, but I remember Buxton being a really small town and also the town yeah. where Thornbridge is located mm-hmm. there. It's really tiny, right? Very tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Small. And then, but that, and then those towns, they, they do have pubs and the more sort of countryside surrounding it, uh, there's a live pub culture. Yeah, yeah. There's um, get more like walking pubs. So like if you go on a, a walk up the up the hills and everything, and go for a big long walk. At the end of the walk, there's a pub. Have a few bites. Right. Have a have a roast. I'm sure Danny, you you know about that. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like heaven to we me. Have it more <laughs> uh, precise than I do. Now, I was just wondering, do all the uh, do all the locals in Buxton and in, in Bakewell, for that matter, thinking about Thornbridge, are they all drinking uh, Buxton and Thornbridge? Or is it 
Is it like kind of, uh, I don't know, how common is it? I was just wondering. It's pretty common. Uh, you find it all over. I think Buxton doing cask as well keeps it keeps it alive. Thornbridge still do cask. That probably mm. is a, a good good way into being in those, mm. you know, a lot more places in that area. There's not not very many like uh, like keg only. But your role at Buxton is is barrel and blending. That's not necessarily what Buxton is known for. Is this kind of a new venture for them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in a way. Um, I, they've done some pretty pretty amazing like uh, barrel-aged things in the past. Um, a lot of really big stouts. And, uh, they've won an award, you know, for this and that. Like they've, they've got quite a name for, for the big heavy barrel-y things. Um, and uh, we just came, came out with quite a few as I came on. Um, but I think that's kind of always been there, but it's trying to, uh, find how, how can we, uh, uh, not even, not just expand on that. How can we, um, complement to that and grow the range? But I think it's about taking it in a different direction and adding to that, to that, uh, portfolio to complement what we already do. So, um, like I, I'd like to take some of the stuff that they've already got going and take that into the future. So like Rain Shadows is um, a well-known stout. Got some really good barrel-aged versions. I just want to carry that on maybe to different barrels that we've never tried before or something like that. Haven't I come across at festivals to, uh, some small-scale mixed firm uh, yeah. barrel beers as well? Yeah, yeah but yeah, exactly. Um, always like qu- quite small projects. Um, mm-hmm. So they've, they've got that, and, and it's about adding adding on to that, and but not in a way that takes away from from any of that. And how has it been going? Uh, and is like Derbyshire going to become the UK's version of uh, Palotaland anytime soon? Uh, I think yeah, we're a ways off from that. Um, <laughs> but uh you know it's you know this year's been uh put everything on on hold quite a bit so we've lots of yeah, changing sure. around and um getting used to new spaces and things like that so um and and just getting used to the environment of of uh working in the covid times but there i mean i'm trying i was trying to well thinking about this uh, and thinking about blending and farmhouse there, there isn't as far as i'm aware there isn't much tradition behind blended beer in the uk or am i wrong if I, someone was to offer me a farmhouse beer i would just think of like a a, a scrumpy or a, or a really thick pale ale nice um <laughs> yeah I, I think there is um there's a vatted porter down in london and i think um you know with the the old like stock ale and and uh mild I think that that was kind of a blending thing, and a lot of the mild stuff got blended like at, at the bar, um, which is pretty interesting to like have different products and then order something, and then it's a bit of this, a bit of that put together. Um, Ron Pattinson, who's who's over your way, has talked about that stuff quite a bit. Yeah, we had him on the show. We yeah, had him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. a good fellow. I'm not talking about. Bl- not talking about blended beers though, but yeah. it, it is a thing that that's uh, that happened, I think, in uh in uh yeah, UK brewing tradition. Yeah. Yeah, where yeah. indeed different guiles or words of different strengths exactly. are blended or beers of different strengths are blended. Mm. And of course Porter is a, a good example of how beers in yeah, 
I think, not necessarily intentionally inoculated with wild yeast or fermented with wild yeast, but yeah. uh, it was it could have been there uh, yeah. and could have played a role. But uh, there were definitely blended beers mm-hmm. intentionally. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I forget the name of it, but there's also the system that collects uh, runoff of the uh, hand pulls uh, what was... and then puts it right back in. And that, to me, that's that's a kind of blending, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what was that called? Uh, Ron Patterson was actually on about that. Yeah, the combinator. Yeah, combinator, yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah, something about yeah. that. If, you, oh. if you're listening, Ron, I'm sorry I didn't uh, remember that terminology. But... Where beer from the drip tray is fed back yeah. into the draft line. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delicious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, Ron's favorite <laughs> beer only tasted well uh, when it's served that style in that style. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. It makes sense. What a purist, yeah. eh? Yeah. <laughs> but what was what was attractive about Buxton that made you want to work there? I think um, you know I've known those guys for for uh, a good while. I've known Jeff and Dennis and uh, some of the other guys for a very long time, and I've known people that have worked there before. Uh, and I kind of always had a good relationship. I, I really like uh, the situation where they're at. I like their approach to things. They, like I said, they they have their own uh, identity, and that's I, I, I appreciate that quite a bit. Um, it's quite quite a uh, everything's quite well thought through, uh, which is nice. It seems it seems weird if you compare it to the situation in the Netherlands, where I can't really imagine that the, one of the the leading craft breweries are not situated in a city, you know, or one of the yeah, okay, bigger yeah. cities. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. In the Netherlands, we have the the Randstad, the conglomerate of a few yeah. cities in the western part of the country, where I think most of new developments are coming from. Uh, yeah. there are some cities outside of that and of course there are, there are breweries starting up but in a small town uh, starting a brewery that can get global attention really uh, yeah. and doing traditional stuff uh, but also innovative stuff uh, that seems yeah. Uh, yeah really something different uh, compared to what's going on in the Netherlands you have an idea why, why that why why they can pull that off or what what that difference is between the Netherlands and the UK? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Burning Sky, I think Burning Sky is quite a similar situation. You know, they're they're close to you know Lewis, but that's you know it's not the size of Manchester or anything mm. like that. Um, yeah, I'm not is sure. it the pub culture where just any any town has a few pubs and where lots of volumes are being consumed yeah it could be it could be you know it's uh it's just a nice place to be uh yeah. maybe you know like why not be here you know it's, mm. it's and, and i think once you're there you know yeah and then compared to the netherlands i think in smaller towns people just go for big brands of yeah industrial produced pilsner uh is it and they just ask for a specific style and and you know. Yeah, do you like think then pills. then people drink more local in the UK? Traditionally think, also, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think traditionally for sure. Um but you know, that I think that along with a lot of other things is starting to break down and and um more and more people are more open to to lots of different changes uh, in the scene. So 
But like, would you, uh, just thinking as a follow on to that, like, is there, is the local kind of craft beer scene competitive or is it kind of one big happy family? Which, which are the breweries, it, it, I suppose, with, let's say you're at Buxton and you are at Buxton, <laughs> which are the breweries yeah. do, uh, would you say you have like an affiliation with? Like we've spoken about Thornbridge, but what about the Manchester scene? Also this, thinking about your background at Beer Moth, uh, the legendary yeah. beer shop there. Um, yeah, which where would you kind of put yourself in a, in a form of scene? We always talk about an Amsterdam beer scene. This is why it's kind of come to mind. I, I think that that's an interesting one because it, it, um, I feel that London has more of a um, a collective scene uh, than than Manchester. Maybe um, we all see you know in normal life we all see each other quite a bit and in the Manchester scene and everybody you know we run into everybody else's place go to this bar that brewery um, but I think. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one because um, definitely friendly with everybody, but I don't know that there's a collective push towards something. So you don't um, you don't feel it. I mean, me and Sandra were chatting about it and saying because you also worked uh, or brewed with. Uh, if I'm wrong, tell me. But you also brewed with Marble and Cloudwater, and there was a lot of people who were also brewing at different places, swapping around. That's something Sandin maybe yeah. didn't necessarily find. And just maybe I'm pointing something out that you didn't realize, but that sounds a bit more like yeah, a collective I mean, uh, than, than what we have. Yeah, poss- possibly. Um, I, I suppose maybe I'm just comparing it down to, uh, to like what I've uh, seen in London. Mm. Uh, I feel like there's really quite, quite a gathered, uh, difference like um yeah but amongst brewers amongst brewers mean, totally yeah yeah what i always appreciated in manchester was or what i uh thought i i felt or picked up is that there's a a, a, a quite quite a lively beer scene there mm-hmm. also because of some institutions that have been around portrait beer house marble and yeah, yeah, from yeah. there a lot of things uh uh sprouted yeah. out you know and this guy uh, started a brewery and that person went there and then he trained this guy to to exactly. know yeah. how to brew yeah. and then yeah. he moved over there and everybody moves around and takes stuff from here and brings stuff there and i think that's something that hasn't been happening up till recently in the netherlands a lot right. where okay. yeah. people just started a brewery here, there, this guy okay. started yeah. homebrewing, yeah. Yeah. this person does this and uh, opens a bar and more separated islands, I guess, where I yeah. felt yeah. In, in in Manchester was always a bit more connected or, you know, there were more relations around uh, I, I, with people in the scene. Yeah, I, I suppose when you look at it, uh, you know, like when, when everybody gets together and things, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah. Um, I think there's just uh, maybe it's more that there's different scenes and those scenes don't always match up like the cask scene or a bit more old school or, you know, uh, very, very modern or, you know, maybe maybe it's more that. But, yeah, it's definitely um, uh, got very active beer fans and uh, professionals. Uh, the camera, the camera lot. They're pretty diehard, aren't they? They are. Uh, they're, they're getting more open. Yeah. Um, they're getting more open to things, and I think that's good. Uh, nice, nice. Um, 
a moment for the beer, uh, Sander. Should we talk about uh, Orval? How it's, yeah, sure. Uh, and also, the, I'm, I have to apologise, actually. I've already finished my Orval. thought it was very tasty. Oh, yeah. yeah, really great. <laughs> nice one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we all have the, uh, the batch that's been packaged on 28th of October? Yes. Yeah, or that's the one you've just finished? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, Jeremy, as well? Yeah. yeah. I found yeah. it... Yeah, it's, so I uh, accidentally opened the older one uh, of seven months earlier. So packaged in March 2020. So still um, under a year old, but they're remarkably different. And the younger one, so October, packaged in October, uh, three months in, uh, more or less. It's very peppery, uh, I think. Still quite some some hoppy notes also, somewhat grassy hay uh going on uh whereas the yeah i know maybe silly to talk about the other one that i'm i'm curious how uh, much it dealt how much it changes in between batches that are relatively close together or, or is, or yeah, is it, i don't know nah, it, it picked up a lot more carbonation okay so it was uh, okay. difficult to pour uh really really foamy also i was uh not paying the best attention <laughs> to be honest uh, with all this equipment in front of me yeah, we'll and, forgive uh, you with uh, the diy home uh, studio uh, now no but that and and definitely got more bratty so there's more leather going yeah. on uh but also that that i think what i find uh typical for Orval, the cherry pie note that i think is also uh is derived um yeah. yeah so uh you see some similarities but some yeah the, the the yeah the younger one is i think a bit although the older one is drier it's also all also deeper and has more mature flavors <laughs> where the younger one maybe not as dry and complex so maybe a bit more sort of quaffable i guess if the, the one yeah you know you finished <laughs> yeah your no, uh, your glass denny yeah i know but that those peppery notes and and a bit fresh yeasty uh character i have to say it's um i've only had a couple recently it's, it's definitely not my go-to beer but every time uh, i drink it i'm like why am i not drinking this a lot it's a very very accessible belgian beer yeah. i would say because it is still has a lot of this crisp crispness to it and it's it's quaffable it's it's really thirst quenching as a as you can see i'm, I'm out um, yeah. but like in terms of trapeze beers maybe to a regular pills drinker drinker it, it, they often think that it's uh quite difficult to get into but it, it's, it's very crisp and tasty you know quite some bitterness also mm. do you guys yeah. get that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's. But I think that's that's what makes makes you, you while you're drinking it. You're like, I could drink. Why am I not drinking this all the time? Yeah, exactly. Uh, is is the bitterness, and and for me, that's what's lacking through uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of the beers today. And I think it just keeps the variety of what's available. Like if you go to a bar, or and this is again, you know, but uh, it, it tended to. Things are, or bitterness is getting creeped out, uh, you know, taken away. Mm. Um, but I, I always find that is what keeps me going. And, mm. you know. On a search for bitterness, that sounds great. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. So, gents, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open the Drie Fontaine. How do we feel about that? Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, we have another beer. 
So the beer we're drinking now, like, how do we categorise that? Is this, is this a farmhouse beer? What What do we mean when we talk about farmhouse beers? Uh, I, uh, I guess there's a farm involved, right? I think that's uh, quite a heated debate. Um, <laughs> it can be uh, whether or not you have to have a farm. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think no? you can. No, you can you can make something in that style. You don't have to be from the Mississippi Delta to play blues or, you know, like it's kind of uh, hard definitions for styles that are, are potentially very old or methods that are, you know, very old. Uh, you know, why, why bother? Yeah. Mm. Accept it for what it is and enjoy it and, and uh, mm. do what you can. Yeah. We're, we're drinking an, a beer labeled as old goes and that is a protected yeah. term so it's uh we know when we when you see that on a label that it's produced in a certain region yeah spontaneously fermented beer aged in a barrel uh and blend of of different age re-fermented in a bottle and i think that's it and that's a definition and it has a certain flavor because of the way it's made and yeah. uh, the way it's blended is an important part of that. You know, the, the, the Vivantina has different blends of old goes and they can have subtle differences as any yeah. batch of yeah. an IPA can have subtle differences because crops of hops can be different in different years, you know? Yeah. Mm. So there's a difference, but also the components of uh beer in that blend of lambic in that blend and a bit more older lambic bit younger more younger lambic uh this really good barrel turned out great so we want to highlight that uh, there can yeah. be subtle differences and you can also do you can use those techniques that they use and uh aim for a final product that displays the similar type of flavors also in, in other parts of the world mm. yeah but are, are a lot of uh, more modern craft breweries getting into this style of brewing now? And and why is that? Who, who's good at it? Because obviously we speak about Driefontein and then also Cantillon or something Lambic, you know, they've been doing it for years. It's what they're known for. Why are breweries now getting into this kind of style of farmhouse beers? Who, who is good at it? Who Who's who's making them? I think they're... Some of my favorites are probably um, Oxbow in uh, Portland, Maine. Jolly Pumpkin have always been, um, you know, one of my favorites ever. Uh, I think they, they've they've nailed this. It's been going on for a good while. Mm. Um, uh, it, it doesn't allow for large scale. I don't know. Uh, I don't think. Mm. Um, in in whatever whatever reason for whatever reason that is um maybe it's because it's like uh to get that good of a product you need that much attention and lower scale mm. um, but you're talking about farmhouse breweries or something you would classify as a farmhouse brewery well you, oh, as, as opposed yeah, as opposed to to uh, spontaneous fermentation because true, that, that's true. uh maybe something different or something we should separate here. Okay, yeah, uh, spontaneous. Um, yeah, I think it still still sticks with the the greats, and then you, you know you've got a bit of you know, gesture king do some good stuff, and you know it's out there. Um, yeah, but are, are any new craft breweries doing it well? I, I, but my point is, a lot of 
more modern breweries are doing it. Like we have a here at Oedipus, we also have a barrel and blending program where I'm, I'm wrong, but we do similar beer styles like this, right? Why is it interesting for modern craft breweries to do it? Um, I, I suppose it's per, personal interest on on my scale, and uh, you know, for for me, and I, I think it's got a lot lot to offer um, and keep alive as well. Um, uh, yeah, mm. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree. It, it's very much uh, a personal preference, and maybe to add on the the segregation or so between farmhouse beers and and lambic. You know, lambic yeah. is spontaneously fermented, but yeah, farmhouse sales can be any beer produced on a farm, or yeah. you know, or, or or you can look at it, it, it as a certain style. You know, that a saison yeah. is something or certain that's also, characteristics or, exactly yeah. uh so yeah you know there there are breweries situated in a sort of rural area working in a more um uh in working in closer connection with their surroundings or with the seasons sure. working in a more natural way uh not just getting uh some hops from one part of the globe some malts from yep. another part of the globe some yeast from uh, another lab but in a more yeah produce beer in a more natural way and i think you can do that anywhere and i think there are uh, nowadays good examples of breweries producing beer in that way yeah it, indeed all over the globe but mm. i think it's more an expression of where they're located and i, th I think that's uh, that's really interesting whether uh yeah, it, it, it can be uh, growing your own beer ingredients or having water from a source that's close to you or yeah, 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 yeah. using other ingredients that, that grow naturally in the environment where the, the brewery is located, whether it's fruits or herbs or uh, mm. anything. Yeah, I, I think yeah, you're totally right. I think it um, certainly allows for that, that uh, local character and um you know uh i think it's that's that's kind of one one thing i i want to make sure that we uh take some time to think about is you know what what is this area of the world like what you know what is it how does it reflect on on the type of beers that we make and let that that surrounding influence what we're making and, and stuff uh, mm -hmm. i think it's really I, th I think it's really important for that um that kind of beer to be like that that's the whole farm thing is that you're connected and you do the tr trading for goods and you know so. mm. are people interested in, in in farmhouse beers is there a market for this or is it do you reckon it's it's just a brewer's beer you know i feel like i'm a bit brainwashed by working at a brewery or drinking with sander a bit more you know is there is it just a brewer's beer or or is there a market for it I, I think there's a um, quite a large market for it, yeah. um, and maybe it's in uh, looking at how to reach reach those markets. Um, the slow slow beer, to use a uh, or soup term, you know, the slow beer side doesn't uh, um, have the same uh, aspirations as as the uh, super fresh 
right now. Mm. You know, the next one's super fresh. It's totally different, but it's, you know, whatever. It, it's it's kind of a different uh, mode, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I guess arguably it's a beer style that's, that could be hyped. It's not too far away from natural wines, which are really popular in Amsterdam and I've heard the UK as well. Yeah. Well, well what's the issue there? Why is it not the next natural wine or is, is it is it still stuck to in the past with this farmhouse uh, kind of uh, phrasing? It's it's an odd one, yeah. I think for, for Britain, and you, know, you can speak on this, for, uh, you know, farmhouse doesn't... Um, does it bring up, you know, like, uh, I really want to get after that. It's, it brings up kind of like old brown ale. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't really, um, yeah, it doesn't have the same kind of definition maybe for here. So I, I've always said as well, like craft beer in the U.S. doesn't mean the same as it does in Britain. It, I don't, you know, they've got real ale mm-hmm. and there's, there's differences. And mm. You can have the argument whether real ale is, Real ale, if it's in a barrel or a keg, or you know, but that's you know whatever. Um, isn't isn't actually in in the cider world in the UK uh, uh, the term farmhouse being used also? Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. and um, and but that 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 is then something that people understand or can put yeah. next to other styles of cider. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, cider's got quite quite a few different styles, and I think yeah. You can, uh, that's often a way um, you like cider. Well, try some Linux and, and more often than not, people are like, whoa, that's beer. What? I think there's so much crossover in the cider world. And that's definitely something I'm interested in. Uh, I think that, that again, yeah, you might be right. That might be a way to, to explain it to people and get people more interested to, mm. you know, see the similarities and stuff they already enjoy. You know? But uh, how do you think it would go down if there was a UK version of like uh, Carnival or Bretonomyces set up? Would the country be ready for it? Or is Europe already having one wild yeast festival? Is that enough kind of thing? I would hope that they'd be interested in it. And, um, you know, like uh, I, I've for a long time thought, you know, it's Bretonomyces. So it's, you know, named after Britain, yeah. uh, the British fungus. <laughs> um it's it's you know take it back yeah reclaim it <laughs> you know make make britain uh britannomyces again whatever <laughs> yeah. have you not thought um, about taking on the baton yourself though jeremy uh yeah you know i've i've um i've definitely been interested in it and, and had little uh looks into it over over the years but i think um just been too busy to to really put it all together and it's I think it's it's a hard one to follow, uh, Carnival Britannomyces, because yeah. it's it's such an interesting uh, approach, and you get to f- travel all over the place, all over the city. You get to go to every place that you you know that has great beer. You see this, you know, you run into people constantly. It's uh, it's it's pretty special, you know. All right. Well, I uh, kind of have one uh, final question I'd like to ask you, Jeremy, because last week we did a, a, a 35 years of the, of the beer coning in in, oh, in, in three beers. And I know we, we spoke uh, previously on the phone yeah. how uh, they were a big uh, inspiration on you because you spent some time here in the Netherlands. What beers yeah. have kind of changed you? Maybe you can name 
uh, one per country based on your uh, growing up in the US, then spending time in the Netherlands, and now in the UK? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose um, for the, the US, it kind of is, is potentially uh, Odell IPA. Uh, I remember, I think it was like 2007, I remember when it came out, I went to the to the beer shop and uh, the beer guy was like, buy that, uh, sorry, Excited. buy that, I picked it up, yeah, exactly, uh, and clumsy, um, picked it up, went A six home. pack? Yeah, yeah, picked up a six pack, went yeah. home, tried tried one, and then uh, went immediately back to the shop to buy another six pack just because <laughs> like, whoa, shit. <laughs> um so i think that one had a really big impact and that that sent me down like a hops tunnel mm -hmm. uh hops road and i got really into that i think um orville probably just, um somehow just really got got into my brain and uh kept kept having me go back and that's uh from bert's bert's beer house in uh, utrecht mm -hmm. where i was living and um got a lot of that there um it's it's hard to think of uh another one apart from uh like colonel table beer um i think it's it, it's almost like it, it's it's very important to me perfectly valid choice. <laughs> I, i don't know what yeah. it is perfectly valid yeah, choice it's, i it's, think uh it's an important like i think the the route that it came about um And I genuinely, when I'm drinking that, I genuinely think about how lovely the people at that brewery are. And uh, that's a good, a good feeling every time you, you pour a table beer or, or any of theirs, but especially the table beer. I, I genuinely think about those people. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're great. Well, nice, man. Well, thank you very much for joining us uh, sure. this evening. It's been good fun. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Nice. Also on today's show, we're going to drink a beer with Butcher's Tears, another Amsterdam-based brewery, well known for beers brewed in a similar style to traditional British beer. Jan from Butcher's Tears teaches about how blending and the use of wild yeast was once common practice in British beer, while discussing their new beer, Aerospecs. Join us for the second part of Radio Oedipus. We are in the brewery of Butcher's Tears. I'm here with Bass, beer sommelier of Oedipus, and also Jan from Butcher's Tears. Just to set the scene a little bit, the brewery feels very much like a, a Hitchcockian uh, movie today. It's very eerie. We have the old uh, gas um, machine ticking in the background here, and we're here to try their new beer. So, Jan, what is uh, what what is the beer we have on the table today? Well, it's a uh, Burton Ale. Uh, it's called Arrowspecs. It's a uh, light, bright, flavorful eight percent. Okay. And, um, well, it's a bit of our prime beer, I'd say. It's something that we have been working to for quite a few years. And uh, I think Erkan described it to me a few days ago. It's like all the cliches about Butcher's Tears come true in one beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Nice. Okay. So uh, let's just pour one. Yeah, let's go for it. Yeah, nice. To be honest, I think usually you can tell from Thanks. descriptions you know... A little bit what you're you're going to ex expect, but uh, with the name 
and also old Burton Ale, I'm afraid I'm lost. I, uh, you might have to, what is a typical Burton Ale? What does that mean? Well, maybe let's start with a part of old in front of the Burton Ale. Okay. Um, well, in Britain, and I'm a in quite a lot and maybe more British type or tradition of brewing. Uh, old was a common denominator to describe beers that were matured over time. So you could, for example, have a bird nail, which would be consumed younger, yet it would be still a matured beer, and the old bird nail would be the matured version of it. So for example, it would be kept for a year or eight, nine months, but possibly also up to three, four, five years. Mm -hmm. So the, the old, in that sense, points to the maturation. But uh, bird nail, it's an interesting question, feels a bit difficult to answer, but I think everybody knows a beer mm. that is actually from Burton. On As in the place, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh, well, that's the IPA, mm -hmm. the India Pale Ale, that's what uh, Burton is very famous for. Um, but so Burton Ale is a beer that Burton, the city, was most well known for before, before the invention of IPA. Mm -hmm. and. Um, it's basically, uh, on the most, most basic sense, it's a strong ale. Mm -hmm. And ale to be understood as a very different type of, uh, different to beer. Beer and ale were different types of beverages. Mm -hmm. And the ale meaning a lightly hopped, um, malty, darker, fruity, possibly lightly sweet beer. Okay, cool. And uh, because I also um, heard that old ale and bird ale were often uh, used interchangeably a bit. Is that true? Well, so the so if you look at um, bird ale, bird on trend is a city in the UK which is very well known for early industrial brewing that exported quite a lot as well. So Burton Ales, they were drank locally as well, but uh, it was also very famous for being exported to the Nordics and the Baltics. Mm -hmm. um, and also it was drank in London. And um, Burton Ale became something of a style. Earlier it was just a beer of Burton, but other breweries started to brew it as well. So um, the Edinburgh Ale, which mm -hmm. is also very well known at that time is very likely also actually a bird nail mm -hmm. that kind of got made home in Edinburgh. But that uh, just signed of the times that they just named it after the place. Uh, but it's just because the bird nail got more popular, that's why that name stuck, I guess. Yeah, it stuck. But then the London brewers also advertised bird nails. Mm -hmm. But in London, often it was called an old ale instead as well. Yeah. So exactly. that's where it's it is uh, somewhat exchangeable, but. Um, Bird nail and uh, old ale don't per se have to be the same. No, but right. it has been used historically and also in different times yeah, for different things. You could also say on the most, again, on the most abstraction, a bird nail is possibly a kind of a barley wine, uh, if you want to phrase it in that way. And maybe that tells you quite a lot about already where to place it. Yeah. And where people will be struggle with. It. Yeah, but if I. Taste. Uh, can I already talk about taste? Of course, that's why you're here, Basil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if I compare it to, uh, I don't know, um, my beer history is always, uh, I think, your uh, uh, 
uh, you're a bit of a bitter historian secretly, although you're, uh, it's not your job. But, uh, but I think if you're looking at uh, barley wines, this is way more uh, dry. I mean, barley wine, it's interesting that uh, it has become kind of become a denominator for this rather strong, very sweet yeah. beers. Mm. And uh, it is certainly dry. But the interesting thing, it retains the sweetness as well, right? Fruity, I would say. But Fruity, but exactly. Not, sweet, like, not, not, sweet. not sweet in the sense of that mm. uh, it's cloying. Or anything it's, like that. It's, it's like not sticky, kind of, but no, exactly. Yeah. There's definitely fruitiness, mm. and also a bit of dried fruit, like raisins and a date, kind of a bit of a date vibe mm -hmm. uh, going on, but then without the stickiness. Mm -hmm. Also, the interesting thing about Vertenail and something which usually people connect now maybe more to the Belgian beers is that. Uh, a lot of these beers, these stock ales, these mm. beers which were brewed for maturation, were then lagered in casks or matured yeah. in casks, and they would pick up over the time uh, Brettanomyces as well, which we now kind of connect maybe more to Lambic brewing or to kind of Belgian Flanders red. So historically, British brewing has a lot, and that's one of the reasons why Pilsner became so popular so late in Britain. This is the British brewing was so used to the flavor of Brettanomyces, this kind of complex. Slightly phenolic, smoky, dry, slightly fruity mm. elements, and so the the long matured, the cask versions, which were matured maybe six months, nine months, twelve months, possibly longer, they very likely, um, from looking at the sources, had this smoky tinge. I would call mm. it. And um, so yeah, this beer, we matured it in a tank for I think seven months around, which is not really the well, it's very uncommon nowadays. It's also very uneconomical, um, especially if you, you use a, a tank for it. We use a tank. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite a long time for a tank. Yeah, I mean, filled up. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you can <laughs> other beers you can turn around in two weeks. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and I mean it's interesting because maturation in a tank or maturation in a bottle, all of beers in bottle condition as well. As in, they're still living yeast. They're still fermenting probably, or there's still uh, processes going on that transform the beer. Um, there's a huge difference on which volume it happens. And so for example with our body wine, we usually before we release it, we mature it in the bottle for six months to a year. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, this was matured in the tank. And I think that maturation you really see in that kind of, you know, the flavors, they're kind of to a certain part, they're blending mm -hmm. or they're yeah. softening into one. But it gives you this kind of drinkability, mm. which we also talked about in the 10.5% heavily smoked stout. It gives you this drinkability, which you normally wouldn't expect for the intensity it has as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, let's wrap it up there and enjoy the rest of our beers. Thank you very much for inviting us over, Jan. Yeah, thank you. It's for delicious beer. beer. It's an interesting one. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> oh, that sound. <laughs> oh, this feels worse. No, 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 I want to do it again. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's Radio Oedipus. This is brought to you by Oedipus Brewing, and I'm your host, Danny Walker. To find out more about Buxton Brewery, you can head to their website, which is buxtonbrewery.co.uk, 
And if you'd like to get hold of the beer discussed with Butcher's Tears, you can head to their web shop, which is butchers-tears.com. Remember, you can find all episodes of the show on our website too, which is oedipus.com forward slash radio, and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. If you use Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music on today's show is written and composed by Ola I Music. And tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Beer.